making sense of it all. Helping you gain insight and take control of your wealth creation journey. Hello listeners and welcome back to Making Sense of It All, where we talk all things wealth creation from money management to financial freedom and everything in between. My name is Jared Brooks. I'm a director here at Vincent's within our financial advisory division and Brett Griffiths is in the podcast booth again with me today. How are you, Brett? Going well, Jared. Yourself? Very good. Excellent. On the agenda today, topical topics. I've got an article here, The Millennial's Guide to Retirement Income. So this is about a uh, report that was handed down to our government and has some pillars that we're going to cover off and yours. Um, I'm going back to uh, back to the home. In other words, self-managed super fund report that's been released uh, by Rice, by a um, actuarial firm called Rice Warner talking about essentially how much it costs to run a self-managed super fund. Excellent. Our in-depth discussion this month, we're covering business startups, turning an idea into a business. So our special guest this time around is Stephen Roberts, who is a director within our Vincent's Business Advisory Division. So he is going to talk to us about starting for startups. That's right. Where to start. That's it. (laughs) Michael Lee joins us again for his wine review, and we wrap things up with Phil Ringway from our Vincent's Lending Solutions to provide an update on the current lending environment. Let's jump on in. Let's go. All right, Brett, topical topics. So mine today, the Millennial's Guide to Retirement Income. Bit of a misleading headline for me, I believe, but the it underlying- sucked, sucked you in though, didn't it? It did, it got me good. <laughs> the underlying report is basically, or article is uh, discussing the, the landmark report handed down to our government um, by Callaghan. Now, this was handed down in July, but it, the results are only coming about now. Um, well, the government's been busy doing other things like looking after the pandemic. It's been a little bit on the go, but That's yeah, right. come on, move on. So there's, I believe, five elements to this article, and it basically talks about superannuation. Um, the first one is compulsory super. So that's the 9, 9.5% SGC that yep. employers are required to pay into super on behalf of, well, essentially their employees, to provide for their retirement in the future. Yep. Now, that's um, there's legislation... In, that's already been passed, there's bills in place that that has to increase to 12% over the next four years. Yeah. So this basically said that it is imperative that we maintain our employer contributions, the SGC um, strategy for Australia-wide um, because it is an important aspect of creating self-funded retirees. Yep. Number two, home ownership is key to wealth. So only, well, it was a bit of a concerning number to me, but 76% of retirees own their own home. So the rest of those are actually renting. And the results here was basically saying that security comes from home ownership. Mm-hmm. So the, the importance behind uh, having retirees owning their own home by that point in time is imperative. Yep. And we'll get to... Keep going and we'll talk about it as a package in a tick. Yeah. So then higher super means lower wages. So basically that strategy you were talking about before, how the government's discussing the potential of moving from a nine and a half super guarantee contribution approach mm-hmm. through to a- 12%. 12% um, is or could potentially result in lower wages for us all. That's right. So what, what they're essentially, the way they're essentially referring to that, Jared, is that typically employers will look at what a employee's wage and super costs are 
when they're looking at either employing someone or giving someone a pay rise. Yeah, package deal. Exactly. Now, if you're being going to be giving someone essentially a 3% pay rise in a period of time, then you're less likely to you're looking at it as a package. That's right. So, so that, by default, if the government's enforcing an increase over the next couple of years by increasing the SGC, then... It's less wages. Correct. So Bottom. we've already had stifled wage growth in this country for the past 10 years. Um, so what they're essentially saying is that that will create that problem. Correct. However, yeah, this report's almost contradicting itself because it's saying that we need super, but yet if we have super, it'll stifle wage growth. And we also need home ownership and how can you own a home if you don't have higher wages because of the housing prices going up? <laughs> there's contradictions all over it. Yeah. All of it's all of it's true, don't get me wrong. That's right. There's it certainly doesn't give a silver bullet. It's just pointing out, I think, the obvious issues that we have. Yeah. Number four, too many underspend in retirement. So this is basically saying that once we get to retirement, those that have achieved retirement and are living off their own um, self-funded and superannuation balances are underspending. One could be the potential for wanting to bequeath a significant amount of assets to the next generation. Mm-hmm. But the second component is the high concern around outliving your money. And I think that's probably what the reality would be more so. Because typically, if you don't have a lot of money, you're not going to be really worrying in retirement. You're not going to be worrying about the next generation more so. You're probably going to be just worrying about food on the table for the next 10, 30, 50 years, who honestly knows? And it's that uncertainty that I think leads people to underspend. Yeah, exactly. And number five for the article was early release may not be so crazy. So the discussion here was the fact that the government did come about and allow people to access their superannuation monies, an element of that during this period of COVID, um, to help supplement uh, cost of living expenses or reduce reduction in their salaries. So people could dip into that. Um, there was a lot of articles, especially from the superannuation businesses side of things that said, look, the impact of taking out 15000 or $20,000 from super over a 10, 20, 30-year period could have a significant and detrimental impact on one's retirement savings. Mm. And the numbers thrown out there were like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I resonate with that. But on the other side of it, if you do take money out and it is used for either cost of living expenses and actually just trying to get by, that's great use of funds. Yeah. Or some people are actually taking it out and buying their home, their, a principal place of residence in this low interest rate environment. So the potential is if one of the outcomes of this report was saying the importance of home ownership at retirement, well, then that's not such a crazy idea either. Yeah. Well, that, and this is an idea that's been floating around for some time is actually using the money that's inside super to help get into home ownership. Yeah, and I don't think that is going to disappear anytime soon. No, it won't, which that creates a whole different um, uh, issue as far as the whole preservation notion inside super. Now, the government has actually tried twice now to get a similar scheme off the ground to super for first home ownership. Yes. um, Where they've sort of tried to replicate the super system, but purely just for home ownership. And really, the take-up of that's been atrocious. Yeah. So the idea with actually using super, what's already there, into home ownership might not necessarily be a bad thing, but then it, it really, I suppose, highlights the fact that the home is part of your retirement savings, more so than having 
a potter sitting on the in one corner being the house and another pot in another corner being your superannuation savings. Yeah, exactly. And now over to you, BG. What's your topical? Um, yeah, so Rice Warner, who's a rather predominant uh, actuarial firm in Australia, have just released a report commissioned by the Self-Managed Super Fund Association uh, that basically talks about the cost of administering self-managed super funds. Now, there's been uh, a lot of numbers bandied around by ASIC and, and APRA, uh, sorry, and ATO, uh, around the cost of running a self-managed super fund. So what the these actuaries have done is tried to essentially clarify what that exactly looks like. Yep. So basically, if you have a, what they've determined is if you have a superannuation balance, um, so husband and wife or couple, um, of $200,000 or thereabouts, a self-managed super fund is about equivalent to having an industry or retail super fund. Okay. If you have $100,000, then you're paying more. But so long as you are looking to build up that super balance, then that could be justified in, in doing that. Yeah. So if you have a long-term wealth creation strategy and you've got a super balance that is now at a decent level and growing, then it could certainly be a useful structure for you to maintain into the future. Most definitely. And Based on these results, especially. Yeah, exactly. And what, they've, what they, I suppose, determined is that at half a million dollars, you're in front of yeah. an app of a uh, industry or uh, retail super fund. And at the end of the day, there's a significant amount of variables that come into it. Of course. The type of underlying investments that you're holding in there. Uh, you've got to make sure that you have an appropriate investment strategy that is suitable for a self-managed super fund. If you don't need that level of diversification or buying property or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. then it may not be the structure for you. So, And all that changes the costs and the variables associated Of course. With it. And you know, having a self-managed super fund, there's... There is a lot more involved. You have to be more hands-on. You've got to have a better understanding of things than what most people do. Um, But by the same token, that gives you greater flexibility on the investment choices, on estate planning aspects, and it also gives you greater control over how the fund actually operates. That's right. I think this article's really brought it back to reality on some numbers on this one, yeah. whereas some of those other ones have been a bit blown out of proportion. Exactly. So it's given some clarity or um, realism to probably what is the true indication yeah. of things. Excellent. All right, Brett, let's jump into our in-depth discussion. Let's go. This month, we're covering business startups, taking an idea and turning it into a commercial reality or a business. Our special guest today is Stephen Roberts, who is a director within our Vincent's Business Advisory Division. Stephen has over 17 years experience in the accounting and taxation world, um, mainly dealing with small to medium businesses across a number of industries. I rattle them off here, but property development, professional services, technology, hospitality, building and construction, agriculture, wholesale and retail, trade, marketing, and creative arts. I'll tell you what, he's got a bit of worldly knowledge here. He is passionate about the startup space, and that's why we've got him into the podcast booth today. He's um, got some experience with the broader Brisbane startup community. So, Steve, welcome to the podcast booth. Thanks for having me along. Hey, Steve. How about that for an intro, mate? Oh, look, you could have done a little <laughs> bit better. Well, you could have you know, emphasized the good parts in there. But, you know, I was going to say Steve enjoys long walks on the beach as well as business startups. But... Well, that was in your notes, but I didn't say <laughs> But no, thank you very much for coming in today. I'm very much looking forward to our discussion. So, business startups, mm. where to start with startups? Um, probably start with an idea, I'd say. Sounds, a good one? Yeah, well, 
it would be handy to start with a good idea. Yeah. Uh, look, I guess, you know, to start with the startup, it's a it's a common question, I guess, in terms of people going, right, oh, well, I've got this great idea. I want to invent a, I don't know, a new widget of Bob. Yeah. Um, but how do I get that to market? Uh, how do I account for it? You know, where do I need to get cash from? Just in the sense of, okay, I've got this idea, but what next? And that's just a common question that I get posed with. Yeah. And I suppose a significant difference here that we might go down the track of is one, if you have a product line yep. that you're developing or you have a service offering that you're going to bring to the marketplace. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, both come with their, with their different challenges. Uh, with a product, you know, you've obviously got a supply chain that you need to deal with. So not only have you got a good idea, we've got to find somebody to build it, manufacture it or whatnot, then you need to get it out to market and put it on retail shelves or whatever it is. So there's a few different facets of that, whereas a service is a little bit different. It's um, you know, you gotta you gotta find out right. What is a service? Is it a off the shelf product like a podcast, for yeah. example, um, or is it uh, a service you need to keep delivering? Um, you know, personable or, or personalized or customized, and then how you're going to get that out to market? You know, is it via web uh, websites, whether the internet, um, or is it face to face? So it's going to be different. Uh, different different things. Mm. If it's a product, Steve, whereabouts does the whole trademark or you know, IP sort of things come into it? Not a trademark lawyer, mate. I'm not a patent lawyer. I <laughs> uh, can't answer that for you. Uh, however, yeah, no, look, it is it is really important. Um, I've obviously been uh, dipped my toe into patents and trademarks a lot with various uh, different lawyers. And it's funny, you know, some people who are in the space say, right, I, a patent's good and a trademark's really good, which they are good ideas because they're, they're great for protection. Um, and, you know, for people that don't know what they are, essentially they're, they're documents that stop other people copying your stuff. Yeah. That's as basic as it is. And there's like several layers of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. So there's domestic ones, there's international patents, There's uh, it depends on what type of patent you're going for. So um, there's a few varieties of those. Um, they just protect different things, whether it's Australia-based or worldwide-based and what it actually is. You've also got to fit within different categories. Um, however, uh, I had I was talking to another uh, IP lawyer and they were just going, Steve, I'll never tell clients this, but if China or any of those countries can copy a product, if it's like a tangible product, <laughs> this patent ain't worth much. Yeah. <laughs> and I can think and I've seen that firsthand. Because they just don't care, mate. You go yeah. over there and you can get Billabong and you can get it, you know, any, but you, I'm pretty sure Billabong will have their uh, logo and design under patent and trademark. <laughs> However, if you go to a particular uh, Eastern uh, or Asian country, should I say, um, pretty sure you can pick up a, a billabong for about eight cents. Slight grammatical <laughs> yeah. error along there somewhere or something like that. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine, well, actually just on that point, a friend of mine actually does some manufacturing of um, electronic componentry. Yep. And he actually has different factories do different parts of it and then one other factory assemble everything together yeah, to try and, to try and mitigate the IP. thing. Yeah. It doesn't matter because as soon as the you know anybody gets the whole product, then reverse engineering go, yeah. oh, right, so this component goes in there like that and you paint and you wave it at them and they just go, yeah, that's nice. I've just made a million of them. Yeah, <laughs> but okay. look, it's still, you know, it's still a barrier for someone to do that. Yeah. So uh, are they worthwhile in my opinion? Absolutely, because they just give you a level of protection. Yeah. And presumably doing that early is probably the, the smarter thing before you become too well-known? Uh, not a not a lawyer or IP uh, solicitor there, mate. Can't answer that question. <laughs> However, my understanding <laughs> my understand, my understanding is um, uh, there's, a, there's a period of time where you actually need to prove what you've done. And okay. to, to get a patent or a trademark application on something, you've actually got to prove like, you know, you've got a new model or a new method to doing it. So 
I don't think you can patent the idea. Um, however, you need to be able to, you know, patent the the, the product itself or whatnot yeah, once right. you've once you've developed it and shown that it's different. Yeah. That's my understanding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if I take it all the way back to yep. when I've got an idea now, from my perspective, coming from the financial advisory side of things getting your personal financial position in order and getting an understanding of what that looks like before you take that leap of faith on going down and bringing a product to market or a service to market is actually really important because um, one, we'll talk to funding shortly, but (laughs) in the short term, most likely you'll be doing, this will be funded personally. So there'll be this period of potentially no cash flow before this thing actually gets legs and takes off. And making sure you have your house in order when it comes to making sure you can meet your mortgage repayments and put food on the table for the family or whatever it may be. Food is, is important. Pretty important. Yeah. Look, um, it's it's funny. So cash cash is the number one challenge all startups face. Yeah. Um, ordinarily, the owner or the you know the the bright spark that's come up with the idea is the one that's going to tip in the first couple of dollars. Yeah. Um, and that's what's going to be burnt first in terms of getting the project to an MVP or a minimum viable product or at least a concept idea. Now, funny you should touch on that actually because investors and you know whether they're VCs, angel investors, whoever, wherever you're going to get funding from, generally one of their first questions is, okay, well, if you're asking me to put in X amount of dollars, how much have you put in? Yeah. Are you backing yourself? Correct, correct. Yeah. Because if, you, if you've got an idea and you go to VCs or angels or, you know, any sort of um, private equity firms or even not not so much banks, sorry, um, they'll, they'll ask and go, okay, well, I'm going to tip in 200 grand, 500 grand, whatever it is, 100 grand, 10 grand. But if you've tipped in a big duck egg, they're probably less inclined to go, well, you're not even backing yourself. Why should we? Correct. Mm-hmm. So it's a really good point that you've brought up in terms of, you know, there is that initial cost and I guess – it's really important to capture that. A lot of startup people, you know, they're working in another job or they're working five days a week as, as part of their income. Mm. And they do this, you know, idea on the side yeah. um, until they get to such a point, a, a tipping point where they're like, yeah, you know what, this has actually got legs. I'm going to jump out of my full time or at least reduce my full time and invest a lot more time into my startup. Yeah. Um, and that's where the cash flow will start to decline from their income source and start putting time or sweat equity, as it's referred to, um, into this new project. So what are you trying to capture there, did you say? Yeah, so you're trying to capture, sometimes, you know, they'll just take cash out of their bank and, and pay for, I don't know, the widget or... So oh, you're I'll wanting to, buy to a capture how much you've actually invested in from the very start. Correct. This out, Absolutely. Yeah, so, so that you can quantify with those future investors how much you have put in. Exactly right. So when you go and have those chats, you go... How much have you spent in? Well, actually, since 2014, I've got a full record of every piece of plastic, every pencil I've bought, every X, Y, Z, and I've actually tipped in X. Yeah. And right. that would include the loss of income, as you say, if you've gone from full-time, say, to part-time. You should also capture that as well. Definitely definitely worthwhile capturing it. Um, however, in, in the discussions that I've been a part of, it hasn't been very well weighted. Right. Um, the investors go, well, yeah, time's time. You know, it's hard to verify that. It's, it's hard to quantify that. Um, opportunity cost, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Honestly, investors and whatnot just want to see, right, oh, well, show me your bank statements and show me, well, not, you don't actually have to show yeah. them, but hypothetically, show me your bank statements on how much you've actually tipped in cash, real hard cash, mm-hmm. not yeah. reduced this time yeah, or whatnot, on, but still relevant. Yeah. On another aspect of that though, is it the, do they want to see true dedication to what you're bringing to market, i.e. if you're still doing another job on the side, are they going to look at that and be like, well, come on, back yourself again? Everyone's seen Shark Tank, sure. That's where I was coming from. I was like, is, is that what, it, what it's like? It's, it's exactly what it's like, yeah, mate. Yeah, okay. Um, 
yeah, look, they do. At the end of the day, put your, put yourself, and this is probably the best advice I can give to people with startups, put yourself in investor's shoes. What would you want to see? Yeah, I want to see him backing it full throttle. Exactly. You don't want to, oh, you know, I'm, I'm dipping my toe in here, but I sort of need your help. Yeah. and Passion uh, project. Oh, and- mate, I want you invested emotionally, uh, physically, financially, from a time perspective. I want you to go to bed every night and think, oh, I can't wait to get, get up tomorrow and build the rubber ring around the widget. <laughs> and I know where I'm going to get my $10 for that from. It's going to be from X, Y, Z. And like, you know, that's the sort of passion that you need from a startup. And that's what investors want to see because they're putting in their real cash. Yeah. And and I suppose there's some correlation here too, if you're an employee wanting to go out and do your own thing. So let's say you, you work in marketing and you want to go and set up your own marketing business, so to speak. Yep. It's the same sort of concepts, isn't it? That personal services side of things that you're talking about. Yeah, correct. I guess, you know, again, put yourself in the shoes of the investor. What do you want to see? Do you want, I'm an accountant. Do you want me to go and build a widget for uh, aeronautical space that I have zero experience in? Probably not. You probably want somebody, you know, who has a bit of experience in there, has dabbled in that field and, and can bring that experience to their idea. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that makes complete sense. So, Back to simple stuff like registering a business name. Yeah. And then we'll transition into then entity structures, strategy around that and how early and where to start. Yeah, definitely. So this comes back to my earlier point of you got to capture everything from the start and that means putting in corporate governance. Now, they're really big words and boring words for an accountant to come in and just help you through that and hold your hand through it. Yeah. There is no such thing as a stupid question. And I know that's such a gimme in terms of like a a comment, but like... I've, I've answered as much as what does an APN stand for? And yeah. that's cool. Like it does not phase me at all because at the end of the day, I have the knowledge. So I'd be a fool not to share that. And it's most likely the reason they're asking those questions because they're going through this for the first time. And yeah. that's why they come to see you is for professional opinion and that kind of advice. So Correct. Yeah. You can't call out a stupid question. That's exactly right. So, you know, to answer your question directly, you know, corporate governance means setting up the right accounting systems to, to be able to capture that data. It means being in the right entity. Now, that might even be a sole trader for the first little period. Yeah. Setting up an ABN if that's required, GST registrations, PAYG withholding for employees. There's just a, a raft of different things that need to be ticked off. And I yeah. guess that's where accountants like myself can actually really help in that first growth phases. Yeah. And I suppose that's where it does come back to, okay, product or service, strategy, long-term goals, exit plans, all those kind of things will then feed into. They need to be able to communicate. There's no this one-size-fits-all when it comes to a startup. It's what you're doing and what's your goal will then align with what you look to implement around corporate governance. And your your current circumstances. Um, So, you know, if you've got a family or whether you're you're by yourself, whether you're 18 or whether you're 68. Whether there's partners, whether there's absolutely business. And you're right. There is no one-size-fits-all. The information and what you fit into – you know, there's limited boxes in terms of, you know, okay. a companies, trust, unit trust, partnerships, da, 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 da. like there's limited uh, structure types that we can fit into. But the the mix of those structures or, or which one's the most appropriate for you is completely dictated by you, your set of circumstances and what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. And that's where I suppose seeking that advice to start with makes sense because if you go off and pull at a gate and just do your own thing, you might end up with and a completely inappropriate structure that might end up, end up costing you so much more in the long run too. <laughs> I've, uh, I've, I've, I've recently uh, been working with a new client um, where I'm going through that exact piece and I'm not talking tens of dollars, I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars where they've been structured incorrectly. Yeah. And that was a startup at one stage. 
Mm. So yeah, it's absolutely imperative. Mm. Yeah, fair. So does that? How do you? How do you get your head around that? What questions are you asking the individual that's, that's coming from the startup? What you is it? it? Ask questions. Just asking ask lots of questions. A million questions, and more importantly, knowing what questions to ask. Yeah. So then, I suppose that that's my next question: is does this help through a business plan? Coming, if they're coming to you and they've got a business plan on paper rather than just an, a thought bubble in their head, does that help a lot in what you're doing? When was the last thing? What was the last thing you purchased that was big? That was big. Car, house, car. Perfect. Did you did you have it in your head in terms of oh, I'm just going to buy a car, or did you write down some things like oh, okay, well, what do I actually want out of a car? Do I want do I want a four wheel drive? Do I want a sports car? Do I want a da 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 da? Yeah. Write down a bit of prerequisites. And did it make your decision easier when you looked at that prerequisites to go, hey, I get what I am actually chasing? Yeah, well, help me process of elimination. Same thing in down. corporate governance, mate. Get it out of your head. Get it onto a plan. Get it onto a piece of paper. There's there's templates in Microsoft Word. There's templates from uh, Oz Industry and the ATO in terms of how to write a business plan. Like, oh, okay. they're free and we easy. We might even put some links to that in the show notes. And yeah. actually, a business plan, just a, a template version, is it? Mate, just go to Microsoft Word and just go to one of the templates. Yeah, okay. business plan. They're in there. They're free, readily available, and it's just it's just the skeleton for you to then build out and get the ideas out of your head onto a piece of paper. Now, it's really important from a, a few different perspectives. One, it just helps you. The startup, the, the the person that's got the idea just to get all their thoughts out of their brain onto a piece of paper with regards to SWOT analysis, which is, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Uh, what am I going to, how am I going to market? What's my financial plan? What's my budget? What's my et cetera, et cetera. And just get all that on paper. Yeah. But I think there's aspects of that that people don't even consider before they even one, have a conversation with you. Correct. Or have a base template version to work off so i reckon it's really important that we put something like that in the show notes just even doing a swot yeah, analysis that, on their business and that's okay if you haven't done it before because you don't know what you don't know yeah so right. don't feel like oh man i haven't done a business plan oh man i haven't done swot analysis oh i haven't seen an accountant that's okay like as long as you have the knowledge now to then go and change behavior moving forward that's the most important yeah, exactly piece. and i think that SWOT analysis is something that's probably overlooked a lot in business but it's really critical particularly for a startup because you might have the world's best product but if no one's going to buy that product then it's pointless <laughs> correct identifying and, your market and, ho- right. and hopefully SWOT will will assist with that yeah um, and it's four basic questions but once you start filling them out out of your head it's really good the other thing that a business plan is really helpful for is an investor and yes, to try and get course. cash because they're going to want to see well, they don't want to yeah. just see it in your head. They can't. They can't see that, oh, mate. I've been to so many pitches where startups have got. Uh, you'll see it on the Shark Tank, yeah. And they'll get up in, in the front and be like, "Okay, what do you do?" They talk a million miles an hour and they give all the detail about their little widget and what it does, what it's going to do, it's going to fix the world, it's going to cure cancer five times over, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. whatever it's going to be. And it's probably going to do all that. Yeah. But crikey, it's hard to comprehend that as an investor. It's That's hard right. to process all that information and go, "Sorry, you're." Your handkerchief that has a pen inside of it's going to cure cancer whilst going through uh, three orbits of the moon. I I got lost at <laughs> handkerchief. You know, like if you have a business plan, you have that written down, and it's clear that right. Oh, here's my product. Here's what it's going to do. Here's you know how it's you know m- going to be marketed. Here's my financial plan. Here's my SWOT analysis. Here's my competitors. Da 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 da. Then it's really clear that you've articulated. And again, it comes back to your early point. You're serious about what you're doing. That's right. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And and also on the fact of that is that you have this 
idea confirmation for yourself personally. You've identified the potential market and the commercial element of this yep. this uh, say of yeah. service or product. So, And just writing things down often slows you your thought process down too so you can actually think about Correct. what you're actually doing a lot better as well. Yeah. And I'll reiterate, it's okay if you haven't done that yet. Mm. Like it's okay if you're listening to this now and you're thinking to yourself, oh, man, I haven't done any of this. It all sounds really daunting. <laughs> Do yourself a five-minute favor. Go on a Microsoft Word. Go to templates, search business plan, have a look at it. It's a couple of pages long. It's a skeleton. It's really easy to populate. And even if you just put in dot points, that's okay. Yeah, okay. That's awesome. No, all right. Well, that sounds like a good starting point for him anyway. What about raising capital? Funding. Yeah, getting, getting this off the ground. <laughs> if you look in my wallet, mate, I'm not, I'm not a great startup. <laughs> or maybe you are. Or maybe. That's right. Fully, fully invested. See? Good, yeah, good point. See, I'll show you my wallet. Moss will fly out. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, I can't. I cannot stress enough. Cash is king. Yeah. Cash, 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 cash. Um, and you've got you've to have it. And you've got to have a plan on how you're going to spend it. More importantly, you've got to have a plan on when it ends. And it's going to end mm-hmm. when you're going to get more. Now, is that come through revenue in terms of sales of your products? Or do you need a second round of funding? Or do you need your mum and dad to tip in a little bit? Or your brother and your sister and your friends, which is normally the first point of call? Um, but you've just got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan around the cash. And whatever you think your cash requirements are, it's like building a house. If anybody, if anybody's built a house before, what's the budget for error? Yeah, yeah. You need X plus thirty. Now that's for a building a house, right? Now for for a uh, for a new concept, I'd hate to guess what the number is, but it's it, give yourself a good buffer is my advice. And by a good buffer, I mean you know upwards of 50, 70 percent on what you think you're going to spend. Yeah, yes. one and a half times. Yeah, correct. One and a half times. And that's just the fact of reality. Yeah. So can you run us through a bit of the people that are out there in terms of ways to tap into that? So obviously, family, friends, close relationships, so your, your general network yep. is probably the first one most would tap into. Absolutely. Getting things off the ground. And obviously, your personal pocket is the first one of all. Yep. Um, but what other opportunities are out there and who you should be considering? Yeah, it's, it's funny. So... I guess it's getting a bit old now. It just shows how old I am. Um, Fruit Ninja. Fruit Remember that yeah, little? Yeah, I do remember the that game. game. Yep. yep. So that was a startup in Brisbane. It was. I went to QUT. Yep, correct. So anyway, I guess what I'm saying there is the startup scene in Brisbane's vibrant. Yes. Um, now, how to, get, how to get funding, you're right. The first point of calls are generally your mum, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your, your, your close contacts for you and yourself. From then, you know, you, you hope a, hopefully got to MVP or some sort of, you know, particular point in the in the timeline of your startup where you've got something that you're like, hang on a second, I actually want to get this to market. Or you need a bit more money to go and develop it a little bit further, whatever it be. Now, what was MVP again? Uh, minimum viable product. You can write that down, mate. That's right, well, advice from me to you. Okay. Yeah. Valuable content. Oh, yeah. mate. <laughs> <laughs> you just rewind that and just play so, that 30 seconds over. <laughs> that's right. exactly right. So what, define that for me. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a product... The right, minimum viable product. So I guess it's you've got your, you've got your concept. It's out of your brain, yeah. And you've got it to a stage where you can actually show someone. Okay. So it's uh, I've got a new pen. I've actually got a prototype. Here's my here's my MVP. It's wiggly. You can go and touch it. Or yep. if it's a service, it's a hey. Here's a, here's how I'm going to deliver it. Here's my. Da-da-da. So you've got to that point, yep. and that's where you might be able to start tapping into these other places. 
Yeah, you can you can get in a little bit before that, but generally investors will want to see it at that point. They want to touch it, feel it, experience it, get amongst it, and okay. then you know build a relationship with whatever you're you're bringing to market. Yeah. And then generally investors are coming in at that right. Oh, let's get it to market. So you know supply chains. Uh, how are you going to manufacture your widget, or how are you going to get your product out there? Um, and then you tap into their networks as well in terms of right. Oh, well, your investor knows X, Y, Z or is in this field that can get your link into here or whatnot. Or and that's a, a that there's like a strategic partner. Yeah, correct. Something along those lines, like leveraging their relationships. Yeah, you don't want just cash. You. Yeah. Well, sorry, sometimes you do. <laughs> I tell a lie. <laughs> um, but you know, the the ideal investor, it's a two way street. You know, you're you've you've got something of value. So whilst cash is valuable and it is extremely valuable, especially to a startup and and scale up businesses. But you want to you want to find the right partner for you. It's not just a wallet. It's mm-hmm. a right. Well, it's a wallet who believes in your product. Who wants to be a partner of yours and, and a team player, and also help you get to market because of whoever the investors. Yeah, because of their connections. Connections or, or whatnot. Yeah. Correct. Now, how do you how do you get access to these? Yeah. Um, tap into that. Yeah, correct. So there's a there's a few little things that are going on around Brisbane. So um, you've got the 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 state run stuff out of Brisbane marketing and whatnot out of um, uh, the capital in in Queen Street. Um, you've got Silicon Beach Brisbane, which is a few things. Uh, you've got Angel Investors or Brisbane Angels, which is a group of investors that do a pitch. You've got River City Labs that do, uh, I think, monthly uh, pitches now as well where they invite people to come along and pitch. To I was going to say, so how does investors. this work? You, you, This is somewhere where you can bring your idea, your concept in? Oh, mate, investors aren't going to find you, or very rarely. you got to go and find them. Yeah, so, so you're coming into these kind of locations and pitching your idea? It's, it's about just getting out there and getting amongst right. it awareness yeah exactly right like don't don't expect to sit on your you know your chair with your new pen prototype and go yeah this is the best pen in the world and then investing going to knock on your door and go hey can i invest in that i know how it happens you got to get out there and go hey look i've got this pen you have to invest yeah. Yeah. but it, it's great to to know that there's those type of i suppose opportunities where yeah, sure. you can go and pitch absolutely to investors yep because i didn't know that existed there is there is a thing called pitch practice would you believe where you can practice to pitch Say that five times fast. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> I can't. Um, but yeah, and I would recommend doing that, by the way. Um, even like if you don't have anyone on your, on your team to, to help you through that, just watch Shark Tank and just write down all the questions that the investors ask and make sure you answer them. a bit of a theme, yeah, and it's, the same that's sort of stuff, Shark same Tank sort of investors, Shark Tank investors are no different to any other investors. Yeah, that's actually a really good practical idea. It's, just watch Shark Tank and look. Think of it from the other side of it. Correct. So look at it from what the, the investors are I knew he was going to surprise us coming in today. Who would have thought? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Here's my one br- bright idea for the, for the week. Yeah. It's Monday. Watch, watch TV. <laughs> that's, <it. laughs> yeah, that's, that's impressive. So you can basically practice your ideas because you need to be able to deliver, practice answering those questions. Know you've got that information Correct. that those people are going to be asking you. Correct. So you can hit back and be like, all right, this is where I'm taking it. Don't They're going walk- to know full well you've got you're back in this. Don't walk into a pitch expecting that you're going to blow their socks off by explaining what your product is. Okay. That's 30% of the story or 40% of the story. The other is, right, I will, where do you come from? Back to this business plan. Exactly. Yeah. Back to the business plan. You? How organized are you? Yeah, How okay. serious about this are you? How are you going to get cash flow? How? What's your plan for my cash flow? What's your plan to get it to market? What are your expected sales? What's that based so on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Half the time, they're not even going to be – it's not the fact that they're critical of your idea. They're just critical of your ability to execute on this idea. Have you ever watched Shark Tank? I have. How often are they actually interested in the product themselves as opposed to asking financial questions and asking corporate governance type questions? 
Yeah. So you got a brilliant idea, but if you're not got your business plan on paper, it's, you um, may not get flight. Mate, exactly right. And it's you know, I guess it is a bit of a mix. Like they've got to be invested in a product or, or process. Like you know, if you're building, I don't know, the next biochemical weapon, they're probably not going to want to go. <laughs> that sounds like a rad idea. Here's my money. You know, there is an ethical point. You know, they've got to get on board with the actual project or, or prototype or whatever you're trying to achieve with your startup. There is an element to that, sure, but there's also an element of right. I will. I'm, my money is at risk here. Do I actually want to tip it into you? Yeah. Well, or, the result is a risk first retu- return, exactly right? They're right. all hey. wanting. Must be a financial re- planner, mate. Hey. <laughs> so they're wanting an element of return for the risk they're taking on this project. Oh, <laughs> Jeez, I know it there, didn't t- I? Typical financial planner, mate. <laughs> well played. <laughs> he bowed, just so you know. <laughs> you can't see that from your end, but I did. <laughs> so, no, that's excellent. So, Practice your pitch, get in front of people, get awareness of your product, but have nailed your business idea yep. and your business plan. And even if you practice in front of your, you know, your pet, your dog, your cat, it doesn't matter. Like just get a set of eyes on you um, and just have a go. And as, as I said, if you, if you don't have anybody to coach you through it or if you don't have anybody to ask questions through or whatnot, my best advice is just go watch Shark Tank, write down all the questions and make sure you can answer them. Job done. Excellent. So what is it that you, I know we touched on aspects of it, but what is the elements that you bring to the table to help people with clarity around and getting it off the ground? Poor, how long is this podcast? <laughs> We're going to wrap this up in a minute. I need your elevator pitch right now. <laughs> my, my elevator pitch goes for about an hour because that's how much I, no. <laughs> Look, I guess, you know, I, I get involved from the very the very uh, birth of it in terms of getting that corporate governance to make sure every dollar that we spend is captured. Um, I'm along for the journey. Now, what, the, what I mean by that is I'm part of the team as as much as, as you are. I, I can walk you through the structure. I can walk you through the corporate governance. I can help you with the business plan. I've been to about a billion pitches. I know what they ask. I know I know how they go. Um, I can help with cash flows, budgets, you know, SWOT analysis, um, just basically being the that administration slash accountant person that can guide you along and actually knows the commercial reality of how to get things to market and what you can what you need to do in the next steps and, and where you can run into problems. And I was going to say, I think there's a big element of it is that, yes, you help it stage A, but you can very very quickly get to B, but there's a significant transition around structure, strategy, and everything like that, yep. that as you are scaling up, you've got to know when you're at this point where you need to have the certain right strategy. Point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, yeah, it's about having somebody on your team that you can sit down with and go, right, I have a look at my... You know, I want to be the first person that sees the, the prototype, you know, in terms of investing in, in their business. And I've had heaps of startups that have actually got me along to, you know, practice pitches on or, um, you know, even use their prototypes. And I've done that twice. And one was fun, one wasn't. So fun. <laughs> okay. But, uh, you know, we'll get into the story around that another time. That sounds good. That's another, another that's episode. A, that's another 30-minute podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, at the end of the day, you just need somebody just to bounce those ideas off. Hey, Steve, what's an ABN? Oh, no worries. Here's yep. a five-second answer. Hey, Steve, should I be GST registered? Oh, no problems. Hey, Steve, what's a what's a threat? Here you go. Yep. Hey, Steve, when should I be a company? When should I be a trust? When should I move in from a sole trader? How do I do X, Y, Z? Just the, the questions. Even rattling off where do I go to start finding funding and yep. all those labs and yeah. things that are out there yep. where I can actually get in front of. Yep. I would not have had awareness of no, those. Not yeah. at all. Um, and let me tell you, you know, there's private equity firms out there as well. Um but banks are generally not going to want to give you any cash because A, you don't have it, or generally you don't have any revenue, and B, you probably won't have any assets that the bank can put a strap over. Yeah, unless your parents are putting their house up. 
Uh, I don't I don't know too many parents that be like, yeah, you should definitely quit your job. I'm going to put my house over your startup idea. That's a brilliant financial planner. How do you feel about that, Jack? <laughs> Risk reward again? That's Just right. tell me about that. But parents do it though. Uh, and once, power to them. Yeah, and but the the parents also need to understand that what they're doing is essentially part of a commercial business transaction. Yep, absolutely. They are becoming an investor just by putting their, you know, a house of security. Correct. So they need to try and detach the emotion to the, you know, to the actual idea or to the, the reality of the, of the, what's being offered. Correct. Remove the emotion. Yeah. Would you actually want to invest in X, Y, Z, the, you know, the new panel, yeah. whatever the new prototype or yeah. new idea is. Yeah. So biggest challenge, cash flow. Absolutely easy. It will. There's a few prongs to that. So cash flow, getting cash flow, and also managing cash flow. So it's all well and good to go and get half a million dollars and stick it in your bank. And go right, I'm good for six months. But if that runs out in two months because of poor management, well, mate, you got a you got a long you got a four month runway with it with zero cash. Yeah. It's a lot of baked beans. That's that's right. So biggest challenge is cash flow. Absolutely. The most important thing to get started on is nail that business plan. Get out one that will give you clarity. Two, it'll give the potential future investors a really good understanding on what where you're heading with this. Correct. And, you know, the business plan isn't, a, a, you know, a document that you just write, set and forget. That's right. It's, a fluid, it. it's a fluid, agile type piece of paper that, you know, if you, if you change a bit of direction because, oh, it turns out a black pen, somebody's already invented that before. <laughs> I've got to go and make a purple pen. There we go. You, you, your cause the same. You're still designing a pen. Yeah. But you've just changed tact a little bit. Now, you, now you're chasing purple instead of blue. That's right. And it's important to keep your business plan in alignment with where you're heading and what, and what you're trying to achieve. Excellent. Hmm. Mate, that's been red hot. Anything further to add? No. Good. <laughs> no. <Nah. laughs> no, that's been really good, mate. I think we could probably do a, a whole nother episode on just the funding aspect because there's IPOs, backdoor listings, VCs, yep. angels, all those ones you touched on a really high level that we could then dive into in another episode for people that are looking and are at that phase of their startup journey. Yep. So that's probably a, ne- a next episode that we can look to, to run. But today, that's been really good. Really appreciate your time. No problems at all. Happy to field any questions. Yeah, that's it. We'll put your show all in the, details, um, in the details in the show notes yeah. and cool. if anyone wants to reach out they can get in touch show notes yeah, yeah. Right. sounds exciting <laughs> <laughs> thanks man very much mate thanks, Too easy. thank you cheers all right michael back again wine review time yeah michael hey boys how are things very good yeah, thank well. you good what's on our wine list today uh well keeping with that theme of doing something a little bit different um than the usual, um, I've picked this one. It's a uh, Purple Angel Carmenere uh, Petit Verdot. It's a 2013 vintage, um, and it's from a winery called Montes. Where is Montes? Well, Montes is actually in Chile. Didn't even know they grew grape wine in Chile. There you go. So you've wine grape, made you? a visit to Chile? No, I didn't actually make a visit to Chile. <laughs> I just yeah, dropped over for the weekend, <laughs> picked up a couple of bottles, came home. Uh, no, this actually is it's my best mate. Um, in a former life, he used to uh, company secretary for a mining company, and they had a mine over in Chile. So 
he used to fly over every couple of months and um, being my best mate, and uh, that's why he got it, <laughs> uh, he used to come back and he'd bring me back some wines, yeah. you know, that uh, were over there. So, um, yeah, this place is just sort of south of San Diego and nice sort of area. So, um, yeah, but it's a, it's a common area, which is um, sort of a little different. Not many people sort of know Never too much of, of it. Um, well, or originally they came from the Bordeaux region in France. Mm -hmm. And some describe it as like the second cousin twice removed from a Cabernet Sauvignon sort of, right. sort of, you know, sort of type of wine. Um, but they actually thought it went extinct in the 19th century because there was a, a uh, I think they call it phylexia, which is like an aphid that sort of attacked the uh, the Carmenere, um vines and they thought that was it. They were gone. Right. So um, um, you've got to watch those little aphids. <laughs> Only certain wines that they liked. <laughs> yeah, taste. Yeah, very expensive taste. So they thought it was actually extinct. And then about 12 years ago, they started finding these vines in Chile. And originally, I think they thought they were Merlot wine, uh, vines or something like that. But then when they did all the, you know, the equivalent of like DNA testing and things like that, they worked out actually these are Carmenere vines. So, uh, so yeah, no, it's, um, it's a big, big thing in Chile for them. So, um, yeah. But just, I mean, do the, the best part of it all, the, uh, the taste test. Um, I've just, Put those ones there for you. And if you have a look, this is like a real dark ruby sort of purple. Um, maybe that's why they call it the Purple Angel. Um, okay. That's the name. I don't, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. But the um, just on the nose, if you can tell, it's, it's like a dark chocolate. Um, maybe, you know, that coffee, oaky sort of, oaky sort of smell to it. And... Um, you know, there's that bloody vanilla again. I told you, vanilla's uh, in everything. In everything it's, you, it's in everything. But yeah, it's it's that, and um, I mean, maybe a, a cinnamon or something like that. Um, so that sort of uh, that sort of spice. Uh, but look, let's have a let's have a little a little sip and see what we get here. Um, so I'm getting it's like. It's like blackberries or cherries or that sort of, you know, it's actually a little bit herby or something. Yeah, herby. Um, and that's not the beetle from the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, not the car. Not the car. <laughs> um, but it, and it's medium to full-bodied and it's, it's it's just got mild tannins. It's actually it's actually relatively smooth and I think it's probably because it... It is that 2013 that's it's been out there for a while mm. um, to sit down and develop a bit. So, um, yeah, I mean, I love these wines. I mean, hence I don't have too many of them left. <laughs> um, um, and unfortunately, my mate doesn't go to Chile anymore. So um, I might have to buy them here now. And um, they're, they're actually really cheap over there. But here they can be quite expensive. 
So if you go on a damn Murphy's or something like that, you'll probably see the, the relative expensive over there. Um, and my favourite thing to have it with, brisket. Delicious. Oh, nice. So um, if you slow cook your brisket, at the same time you have your your bottle, <laughs> you'll have to take very small sips. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you Excellent. again, Mikey. All the Thanks, best. Till next month. Catch you, mate. Oh, cheers. Bye. Bye. So wrapping things up today, we've got Phil Ringway in the podcast to give us a bit of an update on the current lending environment. And obviously, we are in an incredibly low interest rate environment at the moment. So it'll be good to get a bit of insight from Phil on what he's seeing out there in the marketplace. And uh, yeah, over to you, Phil. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no dramas at all, Jared. Thanks, Brett. Um, Yeah, look, the the lending environment's um, incredibly interesting at this point in time, Um, although given I'm in it all of the time. It's always interesting to me, <laughs> but perhaps a little bit more interesting to you. Um, so look, typically this time of the year, we see a lot of people flock to acquiring new property. We see a lot of first-time owners enter the market and you know that's precisely what's happening this year. Um, you know, there's been probably a bit of a delay in the normal September or spring buying season. That's okay. flowing through to December. Um, and look, that's really being bolstered by some of the incentives that are out there right now. Um, you know, whether it's the first homeowners grant, home builder, home buyer, first home loan deposit scheme, um, lenders mortgage insurance waivers, you name it. Wow. Um, there's a, there's a way of getting money to almost anybody, um, <laughs> however they want to buy a property um, at this point in time. Uh, and look, you you know, you're really doubling down with the cheapest money that's ever been on mm. offer. Um, you know, I've I've been here a couple of times. We talk about fixed rates, and you know, are we going to see the bottom? Um, well, the reality is, every time we think we are, we're wrong. Yeah. Um, and there's even some commentary coming out that came out this week from the Reserve Bank um, that even mentioned rates could still decline um, unbelievably because we we are doing rates um, sub 2% now um, as well for fixed rates um, in the home loan space. So it's, it's, it's a pretty interesting environment in, in that space in particular. Uh, what else we're seeing, um, you know, in terms of the residential space, the only thing we, we need people to understand is that um, there is a lot of business out there uh, right now. So the banks are really struggling um, with the volume. They've got capacity constraints. Things are taking a little bit longer. So it's really critical that you're actually prepared. We always say to our clients, if you're even glancing at realestate.com, come in and see us and get an approval in place. Uh, because the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to find a property and then you're probably two weeks behind the April um, yeah. immediately. So we're really just trying to educate our clients on timeframes and really just being prepared and ready to transact as well. Yeah, well, I've, I've had some clients that have been um, selling their, their homes mm-hmm. and they've been selling within a week. Yeah. So clearly you have to. That's right. So, but clearly you have to be ready to, as you say, Phil, ready to transact so you can get in there with the most attractive offer because it might not necessarily be price that dictates that. It might be the terms, you know, cash sales or whatever it might be. Yeah. Look, all we hear is that there's um, an absolute undersupply of property out there and good quality property uh, that's being well-priced is it's moving, you know, same day, same weekend. Most of our clients that we speak to, if they're pricing their property reasonably, will actually receive multiple offers in the first week. 
Um, we're also seeing a lot of transactions in that premium um, or prestige property range as well. That market really seems to be going strong. Uh, and we think that's, um, you know, that's really being driven by expats potentially returning to the country. Mm-hmm. And then that interstate, uh, interstate migration into Queensland as well, where they're seeing value in where perhaps uh, Queenslanders saw expensive <laughs> as well. So most of the work coming across your desk, homeowners rather than investors? Definitely homeowners rather than investors. Uh, we're seeing people, um, you know, they effectively being told that they don't need to return to their place of employment um, and they're welcome to continue working from home. We've seen a few big companies announce that and we've uh, just as quickly seen people put their house on the market and move to the Sunshine Coast. Um, people are starting to look at lifestyle. Uh, they're not as worried about um, you know living in close proximity to work anymore. They're now looking at you know improving their actual overall lifestyle. Excellent. Uh, I think the li- latest RBA decision was another cut, which took us down to yeah, so cash rate down to yeah point one, um, and that's led fixed rates to as low as one point eight nine percent in some circumstances. And if you're really lucky, the bank will give you four thousand dollars for the pleasure of just saving that much money uh, on your existing fixed rate. So for good borrowers, there's some really great opportunities to clean house in preparation for the new year um, as well. There you go. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much, Phil. Thanks, Phil. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. See you, man. So, Brett, wrapping up this episode for the month, business startup, how do you enjoy this one? Yeah, look, I really liked Stephen's insights into how to actually take a essentially a thought bubble and execute to starting your own business and you know, doing your own thing yeah. in that space. Yeah, take an idea and turn it into a commercial reality. Yeah, that's right. So, no, really good insights there. Even just the basic stuff about, well, open a bank account, get some cash in there and start funding this business and how you're going to go about doing it. So, yeah, really and, insightful. And um, highlighted the fact that planning is key. Exactly right. So um, if you do have any questions, obviously, Stephen is our specialist in this space. So please send them through. We'll be able to get them through to him or uh, and and answer those in future episodes as well. So That's right. So send them through to makingsenseofitall at vincents.com.au. Yep. Excellent. Thanks, Brett. And uh, if you are listening on your, obviously listening on your platform of choice, please leave us a review. And uh, until next time, Brett. We'll uh, be discussing in the next episode uh, a bit of a year in review. So wrapping things up for the year, talk about the topics that we've touched on as well as uh, what 2020 has been. Yeah, it's um, it's been one heck of a year to say the least. Um, and we'll also have um, Kenneth Beanland join us for a, a bit of a review of the markets as well. Exactly. So until next time, remember, gain insight and take control. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Jared. The information contained in this podcast should not be interpreted as advice. It is general in nature and does not take into account your individual financial situation or needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial decision, we recommend you consult with a licensed professional advisor to consider your unique circumstances. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned. 